The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. I know you're supposed to say praise to you, O Christ, but you didn't want to today, did you? <laughs> I actually wrote in this sermon, I said, I wish y'all would stop lying. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, O Christ. Are you kidding? Did you hear what Jesus said? But I heard the muted tone in, in that response today, and I can, I can understand it. Certainly, Matthew gives us some tough parables from the lips of Jesus. And here in this final one of a kind of a series of three that we've been hearing over these last few weeks, the words get really sharp. Last week in our staff meeting, we were reading the previous week's parable, and someone said, woof, like that. And I said, oh yeah, wait till next week. <laughs> Jesus, though, let's kind of set the scene here a little bit. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in his last days, and he is speaking to the people, and he's speaking to the religious leaders who are trying to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus. They're kind of sort of morbidly interested in what he's saying, but at the same time, they want to get him out of there. They're plotting against him. And so these are tense days, and they carry this urgency and this finality to Jesus' teaching, and certainly even to his life, as we know what happens in that end of that week. So what is he trying to say? That question and many others should always be asked anytime we have a parable. What is Jesus saying? Because I can preach on this parable today and tomorrow it might carry a different meaning or have kind of a different lens that we look at it through because things change and these insights can be different from parables. They can, in, they can kind of bring up different questions in our minds. That's the beauty of parables. 
They aren't just allegories where this means this, and this means that, and this other thing means this, and this is how God is exactly because that's how it says the king was, or whatever it might be, but they're stories that carry meaning at the time, meaning in between their time and our time, and certainly meaning beyond our time. Okay, Pastor Jonathan, quit stalling. (laughs) Jesus begins this parable, as he often does, with a totally ridiculous story. It's preposterous what happens. A king giving a banquet for his son is the ultimate party. The one everyone marks on their calendar. And literally, barring your own death, you would not miss. You would attend it for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's the best party there is. It's the ultimate party. But not only that, if you are on this elite guest list saying unthinkable because that would bring shame upon you and upon your family the greatest party but also the greatest shame to say no no one would refuse such an invitation nobody but that's what happens everyone in fact refuses not one comes and then the king does something kind of radical here. It's quick, so you might have missed it, but he sends out the, the, the servants with the invitation once again, almost begging the elite on the guest list to come. Hey, I killed the fatlings. Hey, the oxen. Let's go. Great food. Great party. Have you ever had that where you, you, you just think of something really great and you invite folks and it's like, oh, it's not working, so you're kind of like, hey, I'm going to make my special sauce. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. The king shouldn't have to do that. But what's their response? They not only refuse, but this time they actually attack and even kill some of the messengers. Well, now the part that probably terrifies us in our day is actually the first rational part of the story to those who would be listening to Jesus. The king counters their attack with his own. That's what the law requires. He sends armies to destroy them and even their cities. Now, Jesus may be looking at the religious elite who are refusing God's invitation in Christ here, refusing the kingdom outright as they plot not only to kill the messengers, but to kill the very son himself. The first kind of people and these three kinds of people that we have are those who will not come, who hold their privilege, who hold their status, and perhaps most of all, hold on to their control. Their law will not tolerate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, now the parable seems to kind of reset. And the story completely changes. Now the king sends out the messengers once again, but this time with instructions to invite anyone in. And in a very interesting word, it seems as if the king has actually told them, I don't care who it is. And they invite in both the good and the bad. Seems as if our own human judgment is at work again. Who's good? Who's bad? What's right? Now, we've seen this before from Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Four times, including this one, there's the good fish and the bad, the wheat and the weeds. Four times we get these kind of examples in the parables of Jesus. It almost seems like the banquet isn't about our worthiness. And so we get to what we might see as the second kind of people in the story. The who me people? You, you want 
you're in, what, you're, the king's in, me? Right? Those are the kind of folks that are suddenly, yes, we don't even hear of their RSVP. It just seems as if they flood into the king's court, into the palace. They are the ones who do not get invited to such parties normally. But here they are, invited to fill the king's palace to celebrate with the son. And here is where we might want to conclude the parable. I kind of do, right? At first reading, it for sure. But as Stephen Paulson said in his commentary this week, if we stop here, then the gospel is just inclusion. Come on in. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm okay. You're okay. Do what you want. Leave what you want. Whatever, whatever goes. He says that the parable ends here. The gospel is just everyone saved. Now, I would tweak that a little bit. I don't think that's exactly what it says. I would say if it ends here, then what it's really saying is no one needs saving. We don't need a Savior. We're good people. We're better than, you know. <laughs> In today's world, I think that's a popular thought that this parable now addresses in what is probably our least favorite part. But I have to say, as I read this parable, and as I really think about it, I think it would be much more ter terrifying to me than this end part we have of the gnashing of teeth and all of that. I think it would be much more terrifying to me to not need saving, to be on my own, than to swallow the last part of this parable. But I'm getting ahead of myself. And if you're not following me, don't worry. We're going to come around, and I think you'll see where we're going here. Now the king comes into the banquet with all those who have been brought in, the good and the bad. And he sees someone without a wedding robe. Now I have to say just a quick word about wedding robes. Wedding robes are provided by the host. The robe is not something we decide or choose to wear to the wedding banquet, especially a king's banquet. There would be special wedding robes that the king himself would provide. So it isn't about a decision or a choice or that kind of a thing. It is simply a gift to us that we are called to wear. And we must actually actively refuse, put our hands out and say, nope, not going to wear it. It's not an acceptance or a choice. It's more of a refusal, if you will. It isn't about this person certainly not having enough money to buy a robe or anything like that. Don't read that into this parable. It is a flat-out refusal to wear the gift. It is very much like the first elite guests who were invited in some ways. We're kind of back in full circle. A dependence on our own clothing rather than the clothing given by the king. In fact, I thought of another title for, the, another title for this sermon might be, because you notice the man is speechless when the king says, why aren't you wearing the robe? robe? He has nothing to say. I thought a title for the sermon could be Speechless Without the Word. You see, he's on his own. He's in his own clothing. He's in his own works, his own righteousness, his own merit. That's what he has to stand on. And when the king comes before him and he stands before the king, this un unrobed guest cannot stand before, God, before the king. He cannot speak before the king. He doesn't have the word. He is maybe not just a lazy one, like my picture kind of shows <laughs> up there, but perhaps more proud to stand on his own. No need for saving. No need for the king. No need for the son. Now, perhaps this is the point where you are wondering, 
Which one of those three am I? <laughs> and I would imagine many of us are wondering, do I have the robe? Am I, am I wearing it? Where, where do I get it? Where do I receive this? I want this robe. Is God going to point at me today? Or is God going to point at me on that great getting up morning and say, hey, you. I'm not trying not to point at anybody. I'm looking over your heads. But hey, you. Where's your robe? And you will be there speechless, perhaps? Well, thankfully, there aren't just three kinds of people. There's a fourth kind of person, one from outside our own existence and yet connected with it in a very real and tangible way. He is the light that will become cast out into darkness but then rises with that light that overcomes our darkness. He is the one that clothes us. In fact, he's not only the one that clothes us, he is our clothing. He is the robe. And so we are clothed in our baptism with care, the care of Christ. We are wrapped in those clothes and we are endowed with gifts to share. We are clothed from birth. We are clothed unto death and beyond with Christ. We are clothed with a bigness that is greater than our smallness, greater than our fears. We are clothed with assurance through the transitions of life that Christ is with us, has called us, has given us purpose and life. We are clothed for things as well. We are clothed for community as we gather here today and in small groups and in other ways. We are clothed to lift others up as they are cast down. We are clothed to serve one another. As Christ washes our feet, we are clothed in that cloth as well. Not to take off the clothing we have to give to another, but to see it multiplied as we serve. Because there is always enough in our service and in our giving. We are clothed to invite others to the banquet. Regardless of what they're wearing, with what their works might be, because they will be clothed in Christ. We are clothed, good and bad are not our concern in this invitation. We are clothed in love. We are clothed in love, the love of Christ that we receive at the banquet which we are invited to, the banquet we will share even this day. The king has bid us, the king has clothed us. We are loved. Thanks be to God. Amen.